God be with you. Is this okay? My back's a bit to you? Okay. Everyone's still doing all right? We're still here? Awesome. So just a bit of a recap before we get too far into things. Um, Over the past few months, we've been returning to something that's really at the heart of what Jesus is all about. It's one of the engines of our faith, one of the things that really drives everything forward. And it's this revolutionary idea that everything is spiritual. And I say revolutionary because this idea, it really does change everything. If everything is spiritual, then nothing is meaningless, everything is meaningful. That nothing is just noise, but everything hums with reverence. It means that everything that we do, everything around us, matters spiritually. It's all got a sacred weight to it. And we've been talking about this idea, because if that's true, then as spiritual people, we can't just be exploring the stuff that's in here. We need to be exploring the stuff that's out there. If being spiritual means being connected with everything and everyone, then we really need to talk about all the stuff that connects us with everything and everyone. We need to explore how we're all connected. And we need to ask, how do we hold these things? What do we do with this? How do I shop? How do I vote? How do I spend my money? What do I do with the news? What do I do with conflict? We need to talk about those things because those are all spiritual questions. That's why we're reading a book about racism all throughout Lent. That's why we talked about food, talked about climate change, and talked about conflict. It's all stuff we need to talk about. And today, we keep the conversation going by talking about the one thing that we're never, ever, ever supposed to actually talk about. Today, we talk about politics. Hold on to your seats. Today we ask, how do we, as people following in the way of Jesus, how do we hold, understand, and practice politics? It's an important question. It's in the air right now, isn't it? It's something we're all feeling. I mean, how do we not talk about it? So let's open it up. Let's crack this sucker open and let's see where it takes us. And so today, my friends, today we revisit our friend Seamus. We talk about a bad word made good. We'll talk about poets, prophets, and pirates, naturally. Uh, And then if we've got time, we'll see if there's some stuff left over to talk about. Are you with me? Sounds good? Okay. So let's revisit our friend Seamus. We've talked about him before. There was once once there was once a guy named Seamus. And he lived in Ireland and he was a member of the IRA. And now during the troubles in Ireland, one of the things the IRA would do all the time is they'd go into this place and they'd tell them that there's a bomb here that they planted and everyone's got to get out. 
It was their way of flexing their muscle, of trying to get some power and control in the area. And so one day, Seamus, he dies, he goes up to heaven, and when St. Peter sees him, he's like, what? What are you doing here? You can't be here. You are in the IRA. And Seamus, he looks at St. Peter and says, oh, you don't understand. I'm not here to get in. I'm here to tell you to get out. It's one of my favorite parables uh, from one of my favorite teachers. And I love it because I think it captures the essence of what Jesus is all about. Because the essence of all of this isn't that we have to get out of here to go up to be with God. That's actually backwards. The essence of all of this is that God has gotten out of heaven to come down here to be with us. The essence of all of this is that God is here with us and for us, repairing and restoring the universe, transforming everything, not just our lives, but everything, our systems, our structures, our policies, everything, so that we all, right here and right now, can live in a world where everyone has enough, and everyone has a place. The essence of it all is becoming transformed people who are transforming the world. Are you with me? So if that's what this is all about, if that's the essence of it all, if that's why we gather here on a Sunday morning, then there's a word out there that we've been told our whole lives is really a bad word that we should never bring it up at parties, that it's impolite, it's taboo, they say. And that word, of course, is politics. And I get why it's a bad word. It's kind of like fruitcake. You can't say it without cringing. It just conjures up like a gross taste. You're like, ugh, politics. It's got all these bad, bad vibes around it, so we want to avoid it. We want nothing to do with it. When it comes up at the Christmas dinner we're at, we're just like, okay, I've had enough. It's time to go home. And who can blame us? There's so much fear, anxiety, and division in this world thanks to politics. We're all feeling stuff we don't want to feel because of politics. We're just so turned off by it, we want to change the subject. When we see what that not-distant relative has posted on Facebook, where it's like, oh, enough already. Stop posting those things. I don't want to talk about politics anymore. Anyone know that feeling? Yeah, we're all there. We all get why politics can be a bad word. But here's the thing. It's actually a really, really good word. Because if we zoom out past all the partisan stuff, if we zoom out past the particulars, when we talk about politics, what we're talking about is how we live together. We're talking about how we organize our shared life together. It's who gets a voice. It's how we pay for things. It's deciding what are the necessities of life and who should get access to them. It's how we deal with our problems 
It's what our vision and our values are. It's all the decisions, all the plans, all the organizations, all the structures that go into how we can make our life together work. When you get enough altitude on it, when we talk about politics, all we're talking about is how we create the world we live in together. And the reason why politics should not be a bad word is when you see it from this altitude, what we see is that to be political is to be spiritual. To be spiritual is to be political. If we're called to be transformed people who are transforming the world, that means we're actually being political. We're making those changes to how we want the world to work around us, to how we want our world to be structured and ordered. And I remember seeing this for the first time. It was in seminary. And for the first time, a professor pointed out that, like, oh, yeah, Jesus is political. I was like, what? No, he's not. But once you look into it, it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you see that, yeah, Jesus is really political. I mean, just a few options for us to look at. Love your enemies. See everyone as your neighbor. Asking only for your daily bread. Treating each other with mercy instead of revenge. Welcoming immigrants and refugees. Validating women. Washing feet and calling people into a life of servanthood. Redefining purity codes. Dying on a cross. We could go on and on and on, but it's all political. Those are all things that change how we live and move and have our being. Those are all things that change how we order the world around us. It all leads to creating something new. This world where people aren't forgotten. This world where people aren't cast out because of who they love. This world that lets justice, not greed, guide it. This world where they put people before profit. This world that embraces the cost of letting love lead everything that we do. That should really make us think twice about following Jesus. Should really make us think twice before showing up and worshiping God. Because all that comes with a huge rub and a huge cost. Because if that's going to be our spirituality, we actually have to be political. We can't just talk about it. We actually have to do it. Because the truth is, to be political is to be spiritual. The truth is, there's an expectation upon us. How do we actually go from this place and get political in the way that God wants us to? How do we organize a world in a way that leads to that world where everyone has a place and everyone has enough? Now, we could talk about it in all kinds of ways, but there's been something that I've had in my pocket for a long time that I've been waiting for a chance to break out, and I think this is the opportunity. I think there are are three of many ways that we can get political. And that, of course, brings us to poets, prophets, and pirates. So first, we can get political by being poets. 
Who has experienced really good poetry before? Like stop you in your tracks, make you catch your breath, the whole world stands still kind of poetry. Put your hands up. Oh, you guys have not heard good poetry before. I don't blame you. It wasn't until I was living in Toronto and I stumbled into this bar because I had a paper to write and there was a spoken word competition going on. There was a poetry competition. And an Israeli poet named Anas Mogani got up and he did this poem called Shake the Dust. You've heard it before. And everything stopped. Everything changed. What that guy could do with words, wow. It changed everything. Think of a song whose lyrics have grounded you to a halt. Think of a speech that you've heard where the words have been so powerful you've forgotten what's going on around you. It's all poetry. That's what poets do. They rearrange the air around us. They bring to life that which is beyond words. They express our deepest, our rawest emotions. They give shape and form to the things that we can't actually speak of. They help us see things that we can't actually name. As one of the greatest poets, Bob Dylan, said, poets are the ones who carry the light bulbs. Isn't that good? Right? Poets are the ones who carry the light bulbs. Poetry is political because it's how we can see what could be. It's how we name what is beyond this. It's how we bring to life those things that we can only imagine. Something like a world where everyone has enough and everyone has a place, where everyone is valued for who they are. Poetry names them, poetry brings them to life, and it beckons us in to make those things a reality right here and right now. Poetry is why we sing in church. Poetry is why we have liturgies. Poetry is why we have sermons. It's why what we say in this place matters. Because it's all poetry. It's all rearranging the air. It's putting into words what could be. What is deep within us. It's bringing it to life. Saying what could be possible and beckoning us into it. One of the ways that we as a church can get political is by being poets. It's by being people who carry the light bulbs, showing people what could be, calling it into existence and saying, what if? What if we went down that road? And so I'm curious. I want to hear from you. How can we get poetic? What kind of songs should we be writing? What kind of poems should we be hearing? What words should we be using? How can we name things that don't yet exist, that only exist within here? 
How can we name those things and invite people into it? So go home this week. Think about those things. How can you be a poet? How can we be a poet? What needs to be named here? So second. The second way we can get political is by being prophets. Now, usually every time we talk about a prophet downstairs during our faith and coffee time or whenever it comes up in a sermon, the thing we think about when we hear the word prophet is usually a fortune teller. It's someone who can predict the future. They look at their glowing bulb and they say, this is what's going to happen. This is the kind of life you're going to have. And as cool as that would be, actually, I don't know if that would be cool. I don't know if being someone who knows the future will be an enjoyable job. Uh, But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about prophets. Prophets had a much more dangerous job. A prophet is someone who looks at the world around them and names what shouldn't be. A prophet is someone who stands up, speaks up, risks everything, and calls out what is not right in the world. A prophet is someone who refuses to be silent regardless of the cost. Now we could look at a bunch of prophets from our tradition, but maybe it's more useful to look at modern prophets today. Who would be some of the people who stand up and speak out for what is right and just in our world? Who are some of the people who refuse to be silent regardless of the cost? Who are some of the people who are raging against the machine in our world? Not rhetorical. Yell it out. Martin Luther King, King, absolutely. Joan Baez, Baez, yeah. Yep. Okay. I watch one on the comedy channel every single night. Stephen Colbert. One of the best modern-day prophets there are right now. Most comedians are prophets. Comedians do this so beautifully. As they can see what is off and weird and not right in the world, and they can call it out in the most disarming of ways, but still in a way that maintains its power. And Colbert does this maybe even better than Jon Stewart does. But both right up there. Yeah, all the people we named, so many others. We need to follow in their shoes. We're called to be people who stand up and say, that is not right, that is broken, that is unjust. We won't stand for that. So I want to hear from you again. How can we get prophetic? What can we not be silent over? What can we rage against the machine about? What should get us so angry that we have to speak out regardless of the cost? Would you be willing to lose your non-profit status for the sake of being a prophet? Would you be willing to lose all those benefits for the sake of naming what is wrong with the world and what should be in the world? 
What would it look like for us to be prophets? So go home, think about that, come back with your answers. How can we be prophets? And finally, the last one. We can get political by being pirates. When you think of pirates, what comes to mind? What was that? Was that the the R? I don't know if it was like the motorboats or what. Yeah, the, the, the way they talk, absolutely. What else comes to mind? Johnny Depp, of course. I mean, can you blame you? Yeah, we get the swashbuckling guys in poofy pants with swords in their mouths who swing across from boat to boat who have affairs with mermaids. Yeah, that's what we picture when we think about pirates. And as super cool as that is, all that is wrong. If we go back to the very origin of pirates, we'll see something really quite different. In the 1700s, piracy was a very specific rebellion against globalization, colonization, and capitalism. It all started as a movement of sailors who refused to do the work of the empire. So the empire would send them out to colonize, to rape and pillage, and take all the wealth and bring it back to the empire. And sailors were people who said, and pirates rather, were people who said no. Because nobody else sees that wealth. That wealth stays with you and it doesn't get back to us or anybody else in the world. And so what pirates started doing, what made them pirates, They would go out, they would plunder on behalf of the empire, but instead of bringing that money back to the king or queen, they would keep it for themselves. And they would distribute it to the poorest of the poor. Because they believed that we're giving you back what is rightfully yours. Pirates were essentially Robin Hood on boats. At the very heart of what being a pirate meant was giving back to someone what was rightfully theirs. Taking in order to give back. In England during the 1800s, there was this thing called beating the bounds. And you can trace its origin all the way back to pirates. And what beating the bounds was was where every year Churches just like ours would end their worship and every single person in that church would march down into the commons. And the commons was a shared space that the government gave them where they could just hang out. It's the public square, do what you want. But outside of it was all restricted. That was the government space. And beating the bounds was a Sunday when people would march into the commons And they would tear down all the fences around the common space and move them back and say, no, this land is ours. You cannot take this from us. This is where we gather. This is for the people. We're going to give it back. To be a pirate 
is to take and give back. And so I'm curious, how can we be pirates? What would it look like for the church to be pirates? How would we beat the bounds? What has been taken away from our world that we need to take back? What would that look like? What kind of trouble could we get up to? So head out. Think about it. Play around with that idea. How can we be poets? How can we be prophets? And how can we be pirates? All really important questions. All crucial to what it means to be the church because it's all spiritual. It all matters. It all goes to making this world more like that one that God's making it to be. One where everyone has enough and everyone has a place. So I'd love to hear back from every single one of you. Each bringing us a poem, a cause, a way to go beat the bounds, a way for us to get political, knowing that to be political is to be spiritual. So may you go be pirates. May you go be prophets. May you go be poets. And know that that is where life is found. May grace and peace be with you.